today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Being part of a family means a commitment to not just be together as long as it's convenient and comfortable, but rather to persevere in love for one another, which requires peacemaking. It says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, meaning that the Lord himself, by Christ's death, has created this unity. It is blood-bought unity. It's not something we can create or did create, and yet our part is to be eager to maintain it. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. The underlying message of so many movies out there is a so-called empowering agenda of rising above the community that you've been a part of. You're departing from your past to find yourself and own it, regardless of the ones you've left. This message is slightly misguided, but what should the message be? Today, Pastor Ricky expresses the type of heart that's good to have when you're a part of a community or family of believers. It's essential to embrace, love, and serve your spiritual family. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter two, as he continues his message, Family. When I was a kid, I wasn't allowed, I had a very brutal childhood. It was hard, and here's how it was brutal. I wasn't allowed to watch the Ninja Turtles or uh, really anything with violence and or magic and or anything else uh, exciting or fun or anything a, an eight-year-old boy would want. Instead, I got Salty the Singing Songbook. Um, now, Salty, if you are familiar with Salty, it's probably traumatizing for me to just bring him up. But if you're not familiar with Salty, he's a giant blue hymnal of some kind that sings and is supposed to like inform kids about who the Lord is and lead them in songs. Now, the most terrifying version of Salty is definitely like the stage version because they get an actual guy to paint his face, beard, and hair blue and stick him out of like a cardboard book box and his arms are like extending out of the thing. It is terrifying and he's singing. And so every one of the songs is burned into my mind. And one of the songs... From Salty, I say all that in order to get here. Uh, one of the songs from Salty was, God has a plan for my life. I remember all the kids like stomping around the stage and they're all saying, God has a plan for my life or however the tune went. Calling them tunes was generous. And so there was, there's just, there's, it's just, yeah. But that was the song. I remember, God has a plan for my life. I looked it up. It's still out there on YouTube floating around. God has a plan for my life. Now, is that true? that a bunch of kids can march around on the stage and sing, God has a plan for my life, right? True, the Bible says true, Psalm 139, true. However, I think saying God has a plan for my life is true, but saying God has a plan for our life is truer. Meaning that the plan that God has for us can't be separated for the plan that God has for us as a group, as a body. And so Salty got it half right, as he did with most things. And, and yet the point is this. We have a purpose individually, right? The Lord has a plan for your life, church. I want you to hear that. Amen. You have a purpose and plan. And yet that purpose and plan can't be separated out from his purpose for all of us. All right, last. This is important, but not going to spend a lot of time here. We are empowered by God's presence and empowered together. 
Verse 22 reminds us, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right, The same spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, the same spirit that facilitates our relationship with God the Father also facilitates our relationship with one another in being built together for the purpose of God. So you can't say, oh, I love the spirit. I want the spirit in my life. Well, if the spirit comes into your life, you know what happens? You start getting connected to other people because that's part of the purpose of the spirit. Now, this week, maybe I can sum this up this way. This week, I was reading an article that I probably a few years ago would never have read on the insane fandom of the Buffalo Bills. Now, why was I reading that as a Cowboys fan? Because all I know about the the Bills going in as a Cowboys fan is we beat them several times in the 90s, and it was hilarious because they kept losing. I read this article, and I thought, this is so good. It actually is a little bit of a metaphor for the church in a way. The Buffalo Bills have all these, first of all, their fans are called the Bills Mafia, which I don't totally understand. It sounds shady. It probably is shady, but that's what they call themselves. I read this article because they have all these pregame rituals, and there's a comment here I want you to get. So the ringer says this. This fan did his best to explain to me how this disparate group of individuals fits together. He admitted Bill's Mafia is an odd collection of humans. Then demanded I take a bite of his half-eaten pulled pork sandwich, which he had just been handed by a man named Pizza Pete, who cooked the meat in an old oil pan from a 1989 Buick. It was good, and I have not yet contracted tetanus. (laughs) Continuing, look, he says, what families aren't strange? The Bills Mafia phenomenon has since grown well beyond his control. As Reed admits, if you love the team, you're part of it. I love that, right? Buffalo Bills fans are just like, yeah, if you love this team, you're part of the Bills Mafia. If you're open to liking the Bills, come on in and be part of the Bills Mafia. And that, that spirit of if you love what we love, then we are together, I think is exactly what we're talking about in Ephesians 2. If you love Jesus, then you are part of this. If you love what he has done in your life, then you are part of what he is doing in the world today. How does this crazy group of people fit together from all kinds of backgrounds and races and political ideologies and and jobs, all that stuff. How do we fit together only because Jesus has come, reconciled us to God, adopted us into his family, built us together and empowered us with his spirit. And if you are part of that, you are part of this. You're part of the church. All right, so what does it mean then to be family? Very briefly, I just wanna hit some quick points that fill out what it looks like to be part of the family. All right, third, what does it mean to be family? First point here, family means identity, right? To be part of the family of God means your very identity changes. The way you even see yourself changes. The word church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which means literally the assembly, the gathering. So to be part of the church, by definition, means to be part of this big group of people. In the New Testament, there are no Christians who are not part of churches. To be a Christian means to be united with Christ, and to be united with Christ means to be united to a church. In 1 Peter 2, right, there's a list of identities, and all of them are plural, right? You are a holy people. You are a priesthood. You are um, a nation. All of those things are plural, 
And when he says, but you are, that in the Greek, it literally means y'all. But y'all are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. Family means identity. Second, family means love. John 13 says this, a new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because Jesus has loved us, and not just loved us a little bit, loved us to the uttermost. And remember, love is not just a fuzzy feeling. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not saying, just as I have had fuzzy feelings toward you, you also are to have fuzzy feelings toward other people. Now, love means generous self-sacrifice for the sake of the other, right? So he's saying, just as I have generously sacrificed myself for you, you are to do the same for one another. In fact, he says that this is so intrinsic to what it means to be a Christian. Other people out there will know that you are disciples by the fact that you love one another. Look, Church, we can have different convictions and thoughts about little secondary theological issues or political issues or all kinds of things, but I believe it grieves the Lord when the church of God devolves into backbiting and mommy wars and political infighting rather than being overall united by what the Lord has done for them and the most obvious thing about them being not their disagreement, but their love for one another. Family means love. Family also means commitment. And this is where we start to get pushed on a little bit as Americans, okay? Now remember, there's two kinds of cultures in the world today. There's a strong um, group culture, which is like the community is more important than the individual. That's kind of Eastern cultures often, Indian culture, like that world. Um, or if your abuela says so, you have to come to the family gathering, then you have to come to the family gathering. That's a strong group culture. We group culture is I'm going to sacrifice the community for my individualism, which is, okay, don't tell me what to do, which is every Disney princess movie ever, which is my family's holding me back, my community's holding me back, and I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to sing a song and transform it into a beautiful ice princess. No matter the cost that I may destroy the world, I'm going to do it, right? That's the Disney model. And so we live in America, which is a weak group culture, which is like, nobody tell me what to do, man, right? Especially in Texas, we're even better slash worse, depending on your view. Insert Hebrews 10. And texts like this push on, church, they push on that weak group culture. And let us consider, he says, how to stir one another up to love and good works. Meaning I wanted you to sit and think about, man, when we're together, I just can't wait to stir people up not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm encouraged that the, the apostle actually has to encourage, well, I don't know if it's an apostle, it depends on your view of Hebrews, but I'm encouraged that the writer of Hebrews has to encourage his readers, don't stop getting together, right? We need that in America. The, the average American church attendance for a, a consistent churchgoer Used to be for decades, you are in church about three times a month. That's a like consistent church attender. Barna has recently changed in the last decade to consider a consistent church attender to somebody who, who comes twice a month, right? So if you're batting 500, like you're a consistent church attender. Now, that's where I think, now there's a lot of different reasons for that, okay? Lots of different things, like not everybody gets Sunday off. I totally get that. But Hebrews 10 pushes on us and says, look, 
whenever we have opportunity, let us not neglect to get together so that we can stir one another up. If our identity is not just individual, when the body gathers, we want to be there. That's, that's part of what it means. And it doesn't just mean attendance. It means commitment. It means saying, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be willing to be on a schedule of some people serving at some point, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be willing to have others depend on me to bring this thing to community group. It means commitment. Next, family means hospitality. Now, hospitality literally means to take strangers and make them your family. In the Old Testament, when people would travel from place to place, there were no hotels. So to practice hospitality meant to bring people in, give them food, give them shelter, give them whatever they needed, and, and help them get on their way. That's hospitality. And so the Apostle Peter says, show hospitality to one another, meaning in the church, there are people you don't know. Like, I don't know, I try to know as many people as I can, but there is no way to know everybody in the church. And so Peter says, hey, those you don't know, bring them into your life. Take them from being a stranger to you to being part of your family. And then Peter adds this because he knows us. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That was written for me. Knowing Ricky, that was inscripturated. Um, next one, family means peacemaking. Look, family, part of being family, if you have a family, means that there's going to be conflict. This side of heaven, we still deal with sin in us. Now, thankfully, the Lord is working on us, renewing us as we go, and yet we still sin against one another. And we miscommunicate at times. We have differences in our preferences. So the book of Ephesians encourages us to live with one another with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And I love this because, because it's like Paul the apostle in Ephesians knows his own heart. He knows us. He knows that when you're together as a family, like have you ever gone anywhere together with your big extended family group, like Thanksgiving or something, and the first night is so great and everyone's happy. The second night, there's a little bit of conflict. The third day, everyone hates each other, right? And they just want to go home, right? Being together in close proximity creates opportunities to see where we need to grow as Christians, so family, being part of a family means a commitment to not just be together as long as it's convenient and comfortable, but rather to persevere in love for one another, which requires peacemaking. It says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, meaning that the Lord himself by Christ's death has created this unity. It is blood-bought unity. It's not something we can create or did create, and yet our part is to be eager to maintain it, to not allow this or that or this conflict or that conflict to, to break that unity, but rather be eager to say, what can we do to restore, reconcile, and make this right? In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about somebody being at the temple and being about to offer a sacrifice, and they remember that somebody has a problem with them, like a conflict with them, and Jesus says, just drop your sacrifice and go resolve it. And you're thinking, well, what about the sacrifice? Isn't that, you know, I'm doing something holy. I'm going to offer this to the Lord. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You know what's going to be holy? You go into resolving that. But Jesus, I didn't even start the conflict. They have a conflict with me. He goes, yeah, I know. Go resolve it and then come back and then offer the sacrifice. Right? That's what Ephesians 4 looks like. All right, next one. Family means we are gifted to serve each other. 
1 Corinthians 12 says that there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. In other words, that's how, Ephesians 4, the spirit is building up this temple of the Lord. Verse seven, so to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Hear that, church. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit through us is building something glorious, and each Christian, regardless of whether you feel like the most gifted or least gifted, you have a gift for the good of the body. Now, just like not every person in a family is gifted at the same thing, not everybody in the church is gifted at the same thing. Everyone has strengths and weaknesses. But hear this, if you are part of the family of God, if you have been saved by Christ and are a disciple, you have gifts, absolutely, period. That's what the Bible says. And you need the gifts of others because you in and of yourself are not all sufficient. The only perfect, all sufficient person who ever lived is Jesus and you're not him. So you need others in your life and others need you in their life. All right, last one. Family means partnership. In Philippians 1, Paul thanks the church this way. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, often in English, we can kind of read that and think Paul's talking kind of metaphorically, you know, uh, thank you for your partnership in this. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Our spiritual partnership. No, no, no. This was real money partnership. Okay. What he's referring to primarily is two things. The Philippian church has helped fund his missionary work. They've said, we're going in on this venture with you, Paul. This word partnership in the Greek is literally like forming a business or corporation. So that when you form a business, maybe with two or three other people, you each put in money, you each have equity, you each have jobs. And if you all work well, you all benefit and prosper. If one of you drops out and starts not you know, kicking in the money or doesn't help, that business tanks and takes everybody down. That's what the word means. And so Paul is telling the Philippian church, I thank my God that not only have you partnered with me spiritually, but you've partnered with actual money, that you're not a super wealthy church, and we're in this as partners together. Now, here's what happens in churches. Often, there's a bizarre dichotomy in ways churches talk about money. Either Christians and churches talk about money too much, and they fall into kind of the health and wealth model where, listen, hey, if you will just give me a seed of faith of $100, the Lord will bless you with $1,000, right? You give a seed of faith of a Camry, the Lord will give you a Camaro. Like, come on, brother, come right down. I, I believe, you know, that's one. And then the other one, which is where most of us live, is we just don't talk about it, right? Right, it would be bizarre. Now, listen, here's the thing. If you're in a partnership with people and you came to the, you know, the business partners meeting, and you were all agreed, I'm gonna give toward this venture, we need some startup capital to get this done, and you all start going, well, um, hey Bob, so, hey listen, we noticed you didn't like kick in the, you know, the marketing costs here, are you gonna do that? And Bob's like, oh, I just prefer not to talk about that. You know, you'd be like, Bob, you can't be a partner. 
in our business anymore because you're just like, oh, I just prefer, it's very private, right? Now, I'm not suggesting, please hear me, I'm not suggesting like we all as a church have a weekly meeting of like, okay, did you give? Okay, did you give? We're not gonna do that. No, I'm gonna read another verse about that in a second. But, but I think, guys, we need to understand as Americans, we don't want any restrictions on us. And part of being part of the family of God is real flesh and blood schedule and checkbook partnership so that we can advance the gospel together and do more together than we can do individually. Second uh, Corinthians 9 says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Pause, okay? Really clear, listen to me, that does not mean you sow a Camry and get a Camaro, okay? Worldly financial wealth is not in view in Second Corinthians. Do you know what is in view? gospel ministry, gospel renewal, and people hearing about Jesus and the gospel advancing far beyond us like Paul's ministry, right? And he's saying, this is literally what he's saying, if you just sow a little bit, you will also only reap a little bit of gospel fruit. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap gospel fruit. Now, according to the Christian, that should be creating a response in our hearts like, man, the one thing that will never rust or be destroyed in this world is the kingdom of God, right? I can upgrade my car and it'll die. I can get a new computer, it'll die, right? My house could get flooded. The one investment that is totally secure is investment in the kingdom of God. Right, that's what I want. So therefore, Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, meaning we're not gonna go around like, hey, we're gonna need to do an audit of you. You know, you're gonna need to see all of your money here. Like, that's not what we're gonna do. But each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Meaning, if the Lord's given us so much through his son, how would we not also wanna be like, all right, I wanna be in on that to some degree. All right, last one, very brief. Family means structure. I just wanna point out that there does need to be structure in the church. Christ is the head of the church and that's clear and absolute, but practical governance of the church is done through a plurality of elders who are biblically qualified and congregationally affirmed and then who help establish kind of a structure of ministry leaders, groups, and others that have specific roles. It doesn't mean that structure is perfect, but it does mean that rather than everybody trying to serve in every area, we're trying to say, okay, how do we position people for maximum fruitfulness? All right, now let me end by saying this. We are disciples of Jesus, and that identity as disciples of Jesus can't be separated from our identity as the family of Jesus. And the more we get together, the more we grow towards one another, I think the more in common we will see that we have. Why? Because as we grow closer together, we'll begin to see, man, we rub off on each other. And here's the thing. If we grow closer, not just to each other, but to Jesus, something amazing happens. Where we begin to love not just one another love, but what Jesus loves. And as we learn to love what Jesus loves more and more and more, we will be more and more unified and live more and more as family. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. You've been listening to Better News Radio. 
Pastor Ricky has been teaching through a vision series on what things should be of utmost importance in a church. If you've missed a message from this series or would like to hear today's teaching again, you can do so by visiting our website at betternewsradio.com. Feel free to download the audio to take with you on the go or just listen online. We also encourage you to subscribe so you never miss an edition of the program. We're so glad that we can bring God's Word to you through the ministry of Better News Radio, and we want you to know that we're praying for you always. If you're seeking some prayer support, we're happy to do so. Simply call us at 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. We'd be honored to hear from you and be aware of the things that you're wrestling with. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen today, and we hope that you can find encouragement through a Bible-believing church in your area. By joining a church, you gain a support group of brothers and sisters who put God's love into practice and can help you grow in your relationship with Christ. If you're ever in the El Paso area, please come join us here at Cross of Grace Church. You'll find all the information you need online at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in today to hear about what vision should look like in a church. Be sure to join us again next time for another edition of Better News Radio.